So you want to build a house. Welcome to the podcast by Statera Homes. My name is Scott Daly. I'm here with my co-host, Jackie Kowaleski. Hello. And today we're coming to you with the second podcast in our series about the impact of technology on yes. the home building process. Yes. More specifically, framing. Yes. Advanced framing. Advanced framing. Very exciting. So framing, and here's what we mean when we say framing. We mean the wood from which your house is built. You can think of it almost like the skeleton of a house. The f the uh, You don't see a lot of the framing unless you're in your crawl space. You can mm -hmm. see some framing. But by the time the house is done, there's siding and whatnot on the outside. There's drywall and whatnot on the inside. Mm -hmm. But the framing is the wood. It's in there. Everything's attached to this stuff. It holds up the house on top of the foundation. Right. That's the framing. The way houses have been built uh, with wood framing really didn't change, I would say, until uh, 20 years ago mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. So that's why we have advanced in front of that. Right. And so this is how technology has started to uh, change the, the world that we're living in. You know, technology has had an impact far and wide. Um, and so this is just another thing. And so... In order to kind of make our point here, I, I we're going to talk about automobiles, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Jackie? That's my favorite topic. Right? Jackie is a wealth of automotive oh. knowledge, especially Try as it me. Re relates to the Corvette. Jackie, what do yeah. you know about Corvettes? They're this is not rehearsed. She, there's nothing, <laughs> I don't nothing do this. on her script. I don't want to do this anymore. Come on. What's... I what quit. do you know about a Corvette? <laughs> There's no wrong answer. I don't. I, it's a car. It's a car. Yes. Fair enough. That's, that's, that's the right answer. Okay. It is a car. Uh, so the Corvette is the iconic American sports car. You know that and maybe the Ford Mustang, but the Corvette has historically sort of been uh, in a class of its own when it comes to sports cars. So it is traditional American high-performance vehicle. It has been around since the 50s. Okay. And ever since probably the 1980s, um, it has been a car that performance-wise was absolutely phenomenal, meaning that, that probably since the 1980s, you know, someone will fact-check and send us a comment on our Facebook. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> Corvettes have been able to keep up with any of the most elite sports cars in the world, but they don't cost elite sports car money. So, right, so there are Porsches, there are... Audis, there are Lamborghinis, there are Aston Martins, there are McLarens, and these are all very small, very niche, very expensive sports car brands, and they're mostly European. Mm -hmm. um, and the Corvette has almost always been able to either keep up or surpass a lot of those cars. I guess Ferrari, that's the other one that everyone kind of knows that I yep. didn't even mention. Um, those are very expensive high-performance sports cars. And you're not just buying the performance when you buy a Ferrari because mm -hmm. there are cars that will go as fast as a Ferrari. You're buying the fact that everyone's going to know you're in a Ferrari. Sure. Uh, same with probably a Porsche and, and most of those other cars. Well, a Corvette on a track or wherever can generally keep up or beat a ton of those cars for sometimes a third or a quarter of the price. Even now? Even now. Okay. Uh, in fact, you know, the Corvette still remains uh, one of the elite performance cars manufactured in the world it's still a fraction of the cost of some of those cars not all those cars are incredibly expensive but okay. it's funny how technology has changed so let's go back to 1995 okay 
right? Which is a I'm year there. you remember well, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> We're not going to talk about what you know about 1995 because <laughs> it all depends on how well you're read. Anyway, uh-huh. so uh, the Corvette was an elite sports car in 1995. Okay. And so it was very high performance. It could keep up with the other Ferraris and Porsches and Audis and whatnot of its day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we looked, and this is how technology has has changed kind of the world. A 1995 Corvette, the base version, had 300 horsepower, which sounds like a lot. I mean, people don't I really don't, know I what don't that know, means. So you don't know what that yeah. means. 300 horsepower sounds okay, so, yeah. like a lot. Gotcha. Okay, that car was fast. Okay. So when you pushed on the gas pedal, the mm-hmm. car started to go very fast very quickly. Yes. Which wasn't true of every car in 1995. Okay, I'm still with you. Okay, okay. so let's fast forward to... 2020 talk about a toyota camry which is the quintessential american sedan and yes toyota is not an american brand Mm -hmm. but for decades toyota's camrys have been built in kentucky so they're american built uh it's a multinational company certainly but the toyota camry back when americans drove sedans for the last 25 years which they don't people buy suvs now but Mm -hmm. when they bought sedans cars yeah the Camry was one of the best-selling every year. So this is a incredibly common, everyday car. Now, okay. it's well-built. We're not saying that's bad. We're just saying that it's not hard to stand on a street anywhere in the United States, and if you stand not that long, you're going to see a Toyota Camry. Okay. They're common. Hundreds of thousands of them were sold every year. Okay. So in 2020, if you get the high-performance version of a Toyota Camry, sure. it has 301 horsepower. One, one horse more. Right. So in Got 25 <laughs> years, 300 horsepower was, in 1995, that was an elite, super high-performance car. Right. Okay, Nowadays, it's a family sedan. Sure. That's the change. That's technology. Wow. Because it, it was hard to make an engine that produced 300 horsepower mm-hmm. in 1995. Now they put it in a family sedan. Right. So that's so a it, great example. It's a gr- so stuff has changed. Yes. Right. So you, if you, let's say you're going to race from zero to 60 in acceleration, mm-hmm. your Corvette, 1995, the 1995 Corvette was going to go from zero to 60 in 5.3 seconds. Okay. Which is fast mm-hmm. for its day. The Toyota camera that was from 2020 is mm-hmm. going to go from zero to 60 in 5.8 seconds. Very similar. It's close. Yeah. That's that sounds more than it would look like in sure. the real world. You yeah. know, half of a second is not really that long. Yeah. So the point is that what was high performance 25 years ago just isn't anymore. So it's if you common. looked at right. a 2020 okay. Corvette, it would make a 1995 Corvette look like it's standing still. I'm I guessing that goes right into framing. And it goes Same right thing. into what we're talking about. Okay, so what we're saying is that advanced framing. The way that you have constructed a house or you can construct a house has changed because of the influence of technology. We want to make sure that the house is better built. We want to make sure that we uh, uh, build it in such a way. So in in very general terms, here's a couple of things you want to keep in mind about how advanced framing has changed the way a house. It's going to make it two big things, two big topics. It's okay. going to make it more energy efficient. Okay. It's going to make it more resource efficient. We like that. Right. And cool. it's not going to compromise the strength because ultimately what the framed wall is there for is to maintain the structure of the house forever. Sure. 
So we're not going to compromise the main reason why you build the wall to begin with, but we're going to use some technology to make the wall better without losing what it needs to do. So, okay. So its purpose hasn't changed, uh, but the techniques and building it have changed so that it's actually a better wall than it was um, built before advanced framing. Okay. So, so let's just talk about energy efficient. Okay. So the idea is that a new home might be a little more expensive than a used home, but... Up front. Up front, correct. But uh, over time, the cost of ownership can be lower because a new home is more efficient. Absolutely. Um, so that's true in two ways, really. It's true in the amount of maintenance you have to do to a new home versus a used home. But specifically for today, we're really talking about energy efficient. That a new home is going to ha- use less energy, result in lower bills, lower cost of ownership, right? Right. So let's just talk about the idea of how much wood we're putting in a wall. Okay. With the understanding of we want the wall to be as energy efficient as it can be while still being as strong as it needs to be. Okay. So if we take a wall and we put a lot of wood in it, it's going to be very strong, probably stronger than it needs to be. Here's the problem with that. Do you know what the problem is, Jackie? I, I sure do. You, of course you do. <laughs> that wall is not energy efficient because wood is a great thermal bridge. Mm. And so the idea that thermal bridge is connecting the outside environment to the inside, a bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thermal is connecting the outside temperature to the inside temperature, which you rarely want to do in a house. Because in the wintertime, you want it to be warm inside when it's cold outside. In the summer, you want it to be cool inside when it's hot outside. So we don't want to bridge the outside and inside spaces of a house. Mm -hmm. Wood is good at that. So that means more wood in your wall. Your wall is good at thermal bridging, which is a bad thing. Right. So you're saying there's more than one purpose of a wall. Correct. Not just It's not just to hold up your house. It is to also protect you from the elements. Right. Otherwise, you would just live in, I don't know, a hut, didn't have walls. I was really excited for what you were going to come up with. (laughs) I thought there was a pithy word that was going to get there, but it never didn't make it in time. Okay. So... Um, so one of the things we're going to do is keep the wall strong, reduce the amount of wood in the wall. Uh, and the first thing we're going to do that is the spacing of the studs. The studs are the vertical pieces of wood. That's right. So those gotcha. studs, we're going to put those studs 24 inches on center. Okay. Keep explaining. Okay. So twi- on center, so it means if you went um, and you measured for the center of one stud to the center of the next stud, you're going to find more or less 24 inches. Simple enough. Okay. What they what walls, exterior walls used to be built were 16 inches on center. Okay, so, so more wood. More wood. Basically a third more wall studs in very, very rough terms. Okay. Um, so we're taking a third of those out. But here's the thing. The wall's still strong enough to do what it needs to do. Okay. Because a 16-inch on center, two by six wall can hold up a three or four story building. Oh, wow. Um, we're holding up a one or two story building. So we don't need as much wood. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take it out. And we're going to take it out and we're going to replace it with insulation, which uh. is not a good thermal bridge. I which see. Is you want it to not be. And so it's not. It isn't. That's the way it ought to be. So we're going to, that's one of the big factors is we're going to put fewer studs in without compromising the strength that we need. We are going to reduce the thermal bridging, which is a point. Sure. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to deal with the header over top of an opening. Do you know what a header is? I do. It helps disperse weight around an opening. Right. So in walls, there are openings. And when a house is finished, those openings are usually full of things like windows and doors. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So what happens, though, is that there is weight above the opening that the wall still needs to hold the weight. But a window or a door are typically not strong enough uh, on their own to hold up the weight. So they put a header, which is a thick piece of wood that spans uh, wider than the opening itself, and it takes the weight that is above the opening and transfers it down, around, and below. Mm -hmm. That's what a a header does. And so... What was typically done is you would just put a bunch of wood in a header to make it super, super strong. What we want to do is we want to size those headers properly, and we want to be able to insulate them. And so what happens is our 24-inch on-center wall is made with 2x6s. Okay. And what you would normally do in an old-school 2x6 wall is you would take a header and you'd make it a triple-beam header. And that's three pieces of wood nailed together to make up the header. What we're going to do is we're going to size it. We're going to study it, make sure it's strong enough, and we're only going to put two pieces of wood. Okay, and then insulation. And then insulation. Gotcha, I'm catching on. And so we're going to reduce the thermal bridging of the headers. And we're going to, so it's the a header is the right size that it needs to be to have the strength that you need forever. Mm-hmm. But it is also insulated to reduce thermal bridging. I see. Okay. okay. So we have 24 on center and... Insulated headers. Right. Third thing we're going to do is we're going to do insulated corners. Okay. So we're going to make sure that when the wall ends at a corner and another wall starts, they are framed in such a way that we can run insulation into that corner. In an older house, you would either have that corner full of wood or you'd actually have it full of nothing. Uh, And so an insulated corner makes sure that we can put insulation in that corner space. Again, reducing the thermal bridging, which is what okay. you want to do. So those are the three main things you're going to see in advanced framing techniques. Right. Now, you're all excited because you didn't know any of this stuff. And you're thinking, oh, i got to have something with advanced framing. What you're right. going to find, and we're honest on this podcast, is that a lot of builders are doing this. Okay. This is not stuff that is unique. But you just want them to do it. You just want them okay. to do it. And you also want to be a little wary of the builder that says... We do these things, and they brag about it because a lot of builders do it, and they don't brag about Arabica it. Arabica beans. Arabica beans. Exactly from our previous Boom. podcast. I think that it's was the fir- or second first podcast. First or second podcast. Yeah, right. Green so this is a common building practice among better builders. Okay? So you should ask for it, but it shouldn't be hard. Do you sure. do those three things in advanced framing? Okay, this right. so the second thing we're going to talk about is resource efficiency. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, most wood that is manufactured in the United States is grown on tree farms. Which so is th- crazy. Yeah, they take, these are mostly pine trees. Yeah. They grow them on farms, and then they harvest them and create lumber. So it's great. It's renewable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not out there cutting down some forest that is in some national park or, right, or something crazy that. like that. Right. There's actually more trees in the United States now than there were 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that is not true in every part of the world. But in North America, you're going to buy lumber. It is a renewable resource because it is farmed. Right. Because as soon as they cut those trees down, they're going to turn around and plant new trees. You and like that. 18 or 20 or 16 or however long it takes to grow those trees. We don't know. We don't know. They're going to come cut them down again, and they're going to plant them again, and that's it. Now, sure. so when you have a a, wood, a house that is framed with advanced framing te- techniques, it has less wood in it than a traditional wall. Right. But it's not, uh, you're not compromising strength, but you are compromising the amount of material. So what that means is that you're going to use less energy to take a tree and turn it into a piece of lumber. Right. Take that piece of lumber and dry it so that it is useful in construction, and take that piece of lumber and ship it. 
because lumber mills and tree farms, which are very big, tend to be in very remote places where there's not a lot of houses. Right. You so just save along operating and supply chain. The whole thing. Right. You're saving in cost and you're saving in pollution. Right. Uh, and so that is f- more trees that stay uh, as tree farms, because keep in mind a tree is sucking out all the CO2 out of the atmosphere while it's growing. Um, so that is another big part of that, which is a big thing for us at Cetera, is to be sourcing matters, is to yes. be resource efficient. We buy sustainable lumber mm-hmm. uh, that is independently third-party verified from our suppliers to be uh, farmed and produced in with sustainable building practices. Right. And even sourcing sustainably is, uh, is important, but also just... I guess, limiting how many resources you need. Right. That is also very important. That's very important to us. That matters. Yes. So um, the other thing that you're going to find is that we're going to use a decent amount of what is called engineered lumber. Okay. So listen, so in the business, there are there is dimensional lumber, and that's the lumber you've heard of. It's a two by four. It's a two by six. It's a two by 12. Numbers. It's a four by four. It's a number by a number. Okay. And what that generally signifies is a piece of wood that is cut and dried from a tree. It from looks like it's a wood. Tree. It's a It was a tree, and then part of that tree got turned into a two by four. It's not manufactured. It is not manufactured. Those are the farm trees. Those are farm trees. Okay. They get cut. They get put in a kiln. To dry them out because uh-huh. trees have a very high moisture content while they're alive. Uh-huh. And then it gets shipped to you. And that is dimensional lumber. There is a whole other side of framing that is using engineered lumber. Okay. And this is a product that is produced. It is usually some piece of wood that is a byproduct of producing dimensional lumber, like a wood chip. Okay. That wood chip is pressed and it is injected with some epoxy. And it is kind of glued and stuck together, and it turns into a piece of engineered wood. Got it. Engineered wood is more expensive than dimensional lumber. Okay. But engineered wood had some advantages. A, it's a good renewable resource because it's generally produced from byproducts of something else. But what about those chemicals? The chemicals are there, but they they have what's called a low VOC content, which is volatile organic compounds. Okay. Uh, So they're not bad for you uh, or is bad for the environment. So they're not horrible chemicals, but they they create stronger products. And those stronger products allow for more creative design in homes or, again, less wood in the homes to be resource efficient. Okay. Uh, sometimes they make beams out of laminated pieces of wood together, which are thin strips of wood that are compressed and glued together because right. a, an engineered uh, wood beam is stronger than a dimensional lumber wood beam. Okay. Where you're going to see a lot of this in new construction uh, on the residential side here in Delaware is you're going to find engineered uh, floor joists. Floor joists are the thick things that hold up the floor. They're very strong because things that get put on floors, like furniture and people, are heavy. (laughs) And you want your floor to hold it up. So a better builder, in our opinion, is going to use engineered wood floor joists. A lot of times they're called wood eye beams. Would um, I beams. And they are it's a manufactured product and it's great because A, because it's stronger than dimensional lumber, mm-hmm. you can uh, you can create more things, you can you can space out the 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 weight. Uh, you mean when you say create more things, like an example of being a basement that doesn't have a pole right a support beam. That's right. Like, okay. You can do things like that. You can gotcha. you, because it can hold up flooring uh, and have a longer span, which is I the see. distance between its supports uh, than a, 
a piece of dimensional lumber. The other thing it's going to do is it's stable at temperature and humidity, which means as wood dries out, sometimes wood is known to warp, mm -hmm. crack, and this is a this is can be an issue in dimensional lumber, especially large pieces of dimensional lumber like two by tens and two by twelves. These are the things you build floor joists with or used to. Right. Okay. So if you use engineered wood I beams, it's gonna stay in the same shape it was when you put it there. And what that does, it's not a structural issue, it's a comfort issue. And the comfort issue is if you have a two by twelve floor joist and it dries out and warps, you're going to have floor squeaks because really? okay. it's going to try to move, but it has a subfloor attached to it. It has uh, a load bearing point below it and nothing else around it wants to move. And so when it moves and nothing else moves, right, it creates a squeak. So you want engineered wood on the floor joist and, and the subfloor. The subfloor, which is what goes on top of the floor joist, right. is almost always engineered lumber. People call it plywood because it used to be made yeah. out of plywood. Right. It's called OSB now. When I first started working here, I called it plywood. You did. And you corrected me right away. There's no plywood there, typically. Right. You, you can know? get plywood for that, and plywood's great. But a lot of times you're finding a product that is uh, it's an engineered product. And the better ones, like the ones we use at Statera, mm -hmm. are much more resistant to moisture. So as your house is being built, if it gets ex it's exposed to water, which most houses do while they're under construction. Rain happens. Rain happens. You're going to find that uh, the subflooring that Statera uses is very resistant to that water. And okay. It's going to keep its shape. It's not going to absorb the water and then want to move around on its fasteners, which is the problem that creates no bueno no bueno so uh, that is strength your engineering and again those things both the way things are built and the materials that are used show the influence of technology that mm -hmm. a house that is framed now is going to be more efficient than a house is framed 25 years ago uh, basically which allows us you know to get the same performance in car talk mm -hmm. that a 1995 corvette and a 2020 toyota camry are kind of close in terms of performance sure and so it, the technology has allowed that performance to, to be into very common cars, which was once a very rare thing. And so as the technology has advanced in new, new construction, it allows a house to be built in a much more energy efficient but strong way. And that way wasn't done 25 years ago. Right. I have a question. Yes. Why? So the dimensional wood and the engineered wood, why do we use dimensional wood for framing if it does get exposed to the elements? Is that just not a problem? Well, so some of it is cost, and a lot of it is how that lays flat. So water tends to flow down, uh -huh. right? So we'll use dimensional lumber in the walls. But let's say you get a bunch of rain on a wall. The water's still going to flow to the off the wall. It's going to run down the wall and ultimately go away. Where water collects is on the floor. Okay. So when you have wood that you're... Uh, that is in your floor, and mm -hmm. that can be in, in rough framing. That is not really your floor. That's called your subfloor and yeah. your floor joists. Okay, so those yeah. two things can be exposed to water for a prolonged period of time. And you know this because you can go through a house that's under construction after a rainstorm, and there will be puddles of water sure, yeah. on the subfloor. Mm -hmm. There will not be puddles of water on the wall. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right? I just didn't know if, it, if there was a possibility that the dimensional wood would warp there and is that okay. possibility, but oh, okay. it is greatly reduced in a wall okay. versus a floor. Gotcha. So uh, that's, that's kind of why. Because they do make engineered studs, wall studs. They're just really expensive. expensive well, and, and so okay. we use them because of their strength if we have very, very tall walls. 
Okay. So we have certain models that have like a two-story wall, mm-hmm. and there will be uh, parts of that two-story wall that are actually built with engineered wood studs. Okay. And that's just to to more to act as bracing to keep it strong. Sure. So it's it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Okay. And so it adds to the cost. Sure. And it can be done, but it's not. There's not enough benefit to it. I see. That's so it isn't done. Seems to be the thing. Right. It's always a balance. Right. So this is exciting stuff because yeah. really technology is changing. And you think about a f- you know a a house was framed. Uh, they framed houses in the colonial era a, a lot of the same way with a lot of the same wood. Um, and so now, finally, technology has gotten to the point where, you know, you're, you're looking at a, a construction method that hasn't really changed in a couple hundred years, and it is starting to change because of the influence of technology. And it makes you understand that owning a new home does have some advantages. There's a difference between a house that was built now and a house that was built 25 years ago. And it's not just the fact that the fixtures are not out of date. Okay. It is the way houses are built, if you understand that. And that has a real impact in your life, and it has a real impact on the planet you live in. Sure. I think this was super helpful. So, I liked this one. There you go. All right. So this is the So You Want to Build a House podcast. I'm Scott Daly. And I'm Jackie Kowaleski. Check out our next episode. So You Want to Build a House is brought to you by Statera Homes. Statera Homes is a craft home builder in Southern Delaware. This builder finds value in working with you to build a home that is the perfect fit for your lifestyle. Statera truly sets themselves apart from other builders in the area. To find out more, visit their website, www.staterahomes.com. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A-H-O-M-E-S.com. Or call their model home at area code 302-329-8881. That's 302-329-8881. Music from this podcast was by the band Defining Parallel from their recent single, Painted Lives. Thank you for listening to So You Want to Build a House. To stay updated on the most recent episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you found it to begin with, or... Check out Statera Homes' website, which is again www.staterahomes.com. Thank you very much. <laughs>